Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Roundtable Podcast, where we interview experts who tackle the tough topics and share strategies and techniques that will help you start, build, and grow your real estate investing business. And now your host, Rob the House Guy. I'm Rob the House Guy, and I'm really excited about this new platform we have going here. This is going to be a raw, unfiltered interview platform with real estate investors that are actually doing the business right now. And I'm really excited because this is something that when I got started over 20 years ago did not exist. And I had to fumble my way through a lot of things. And this is hopefully going to help take you to the next level just by watching all of our trials and triumphs that we've all had to go through. So today, I have a couple rehabbers here, and these guys are fantastic. They are actually a couple in real life and a part business partners in the business as well. And we have um, Adam McPherson, which is very Scottish from what I am told here, <laughs> and Jenna Hoover. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks. All right, so I'm sure some of you may know these folks. They have had a little about with like a reality show and they were on TV uh, flipping houses, but that's really not what they're all about. They do this in real life as well. Tell us a little bit about yourselves. So we do this full time. So my background wasn't actually in real estate. I was in the medical field for about seven years, then got into real estate was always what I wanted to do and did this for about six years. I met Adam how long ago, but four or five years ago, five, years ago. five six right. years ago. And so I was doing this uh, full-time by myself as a um, sole proprietor in Pennsylvania. Adam was based out of Kansas, and then he moved to Pennsylvania, so we started doing this. And uh, we started out just mainly focusing on rehabbing and then got into uh, the rental market. Awesome. Well, today's show, we're gonna be talking all about leads and lead management, because it doesn't matter what you're doing with the house once you get it, you have to be able to get the house. So what do you guys do in your main business here to bring the leads in to find these deals? Are you doing on-market stuff? Um, we do different type of marketing. We do some direct mail, we do bandit signs. We get a lot of um, our leads based on referrals. And then, you know, since you're an agent, you're able to you know, find different leads that are- Yeah, so searching on-market stuff is definitely an option. In our market, it's very easy to, to go out and pick through things and see things that need work. That's more of a rehabber style. Uh, property, but I mean, like she said, there are lots of things, lots of different avenues that we use to get properties. So based on percentage, how many would you say come off the MLS versus referrals and just uh, pocket deals? Probably, I'd say one in 10. We Referrals is one in 10 off the MLS. Referrals is like our big market. Jenna's bit, built such a presence in our market that people just come right to us because they know nobody else is gonna buy it, it needs a lot of work. They go to her and, and message, a lot of it's through social media um, and just knowing people in the community. Awesome, let's, let's dive a little deeper into that. When everybody comes right to you, how long in the business total? Uh, I've been doing this for six years. So six years and you have that big of presence in your market already. Yeah. All right, what would you say is the primary way people know you? Are you spending a lot of money on branding, saying who you are, or is it mainly social media? Um, I always, because I was, I, I mentored a lot of different students across the country in real estate. And so I always tell them, you want people to think about you first and foremost when it comes to a product or anything that you're selling or anything you're buying, things like that. And so 
I spent a lot of time in the beginning creating a brand. There's, there's a difference between marketing and branding. It's kind of like, you know, if you look at, um, you know, we'll just say Coca-Cola. We look at Coca-Cola, you know that red and white font, that cursive font, and you can write your first and last name in that same font and everybody's gonna know that's Coca-Cola. And that's how I try to present my business whenever I first got into real estate, creating um, certain colors, certain fonts, certain type of you know caricatures so that people think about me, they notice it and they recognize it. And so um, I went out, I put signs, I did different things online, different things on social media, my website, I would go to different career fairs, I would go to different um, you know, different festivals that they would have. And I would just always introduce myself to people. But um, the thing was, is there was nobody in my area that was doing what I was doing. And so it just became, a, you know, who is this person flipping houses? Everybody wants to know more about it. Everybody wants to hear sure. stories. And so it just became the a reputation type of industry where do something right for somebody. It's kind of like karma marketing is what I call it. You do something right, somebody contacts you again and you know, refers their friend or family. Right, you just can't give good away. Mm -hmm. I always found, I mean, Rob the house guy is not an accident. I mean, that's the reason I branded myself as that. So my question to you is, are you branding yourself as a corporation or a company or using your personal name for branding? Well, it started out, uh, you know, I, my business was actually Revamp Realty, and mm -hmm. that's what I had initially created it as. I and mean, some of my mentors had said, you know, when you put your signs up there, just put Jenna buys houses. So I started doing that and everybody started associating me with Jenna Buys Houses. So then I went out, I got the website, um, and then I, I said, well, I should probably get the entity because you know, I was having people actually take that phrase and go and buy signs with that on it with their phone number. So I was having people kind of steal the idea of Jenna Buys Houses. And so then I wanted to create a, a little um, a logo of, of some sort for Jenna Buys Houses and I thought, well, for a business card, like what do I do? Do I do I get a picture? You know, do I how do I pose for this picture? And I thought, you know, it would just be easier just getting a caricature made of my of of me. And I thought, oh, hey, you know, we'll make it skinnier, we'll make it, you know, perfect. We'll give her a tool belt, give her a <laughs> drill or something, and it just literally exploded. So everybody started recognizing my Jenna Buys houses as you know this little cartoon logo, and then that's when I created the entity. And it's funny because. It, Jenna Buys Houses is the name of one of my businesses, but that actually buys absolutely nothing. So that's kind of like the face of the business, but Revamp Realty is the one that purchases and renovates them. Okay, perfect. Now with that, now we have the Jenna Buys Houses and you guys are the team here. So I'm sure a lot of folks wanna know how you interact together as a couple in private life and as business partners in the business life. Because there's a lot of people that wanna get started and maybe the husband's like not sure about it, saying I don't wanna do this or the wife's not sure about it. And you guys seem to pull off very well. How are you with Jenna Buys Houses? Well, we work as a team. And in our, our business, everybody that we work with is a team. So that's something that I, I pride myself on is I don't need to be the one that I'm in the front, I'm the man, I'm the big macho guy, I need to be this or that or the other. And to me, that doesn't matter. So long as it gets us to the end result, we're improving, we're growing, we're doing good things for people. That's, I mean, for me, that's how the business should go. It doesn't matter who's the face or who's not the face. No, that's cool. You're a very confident, secure guy. That's awesome. Yeah. So you're a real estate agent. Are you also a real estate agent? No. But yet you called your company Realty. <laughs> that, that's awesome. Okay. So... The benefits of being an agent, what is a benefit for you to be an agent in this business? Um, as far as, I mean, great things that happen for us as far as leads go is 
I can show people houses. If a house isn't for them, it's something that I can get into other houses, um, show them other places around town. It also works out so that if we're going to buy a property, um, we don't have to wait around, text an agent, see if they can show up on time, be there. We're just able to go into a place, look at it, um, and, and proceed from there. I can make any offer I want. I don't, I'm not reg, reg wow. Well, <laughs> I can't speak. well, let me interrupt yeah. you while you're there. Um, talking about leads, one of the great things about us, if we're doing a lot of marketing, getting a lot of leads, Adam would be able to refer those leads to other agents. And now since he's licensed, we're able to get that referral fee. Also, if somebody contacts us, one of our leads, and they're able to say, hey, I have a house for sale. If I can't buy it as a rehabber because it's retail price range, Adam can potentially list that property if he wants to list it and then get that agent commission. So there's a lot of benefits with him having um, having his license. If he lists one of my properties that I go to sell, then the, you know, the agent commission stays here with us. So this really leads me into my next question. It sounds like through your marketing and through you being an agent, you guys have a lot of leads. You get a lot of calls. And clearly every call that comes in is not a home run winner that's gonna be, hey, buy my house at 20 cents on the dollar. How do you handle all of these leads? Um, what we have to do is we have to figure out how do we wanna monetize them. We may have somebody that's retail price range where you know, I can say, you know what, I'm, unfortunately I can't purchase that, but I wanna give somebody a solution. It's either I can buy it, I can refer it to somebody else, or I can help get it represented potentially with an agent. So I can refer it to Adam and he can list that property or he can refer it to another agent if it's kind of outside of his territory that he really wants to go to. Just because he's an agent doesn't mean he works as like a full-time, that's my main focus type of position. It's just a benefit. It's not necessarily um, something that he focuses on all day, every day. So we have to figure out, all right, can we buy this one? Can we flip it? Can we rehab it? Is it a good rental? Figuring out what your exit strategy first is gonna be the main thing. And then we kind of build things around there. And I've only been an agent for a year. So before I was a real estate agent, we built great relationships with other agents in our market so that that way we still did the referral stuff. We still appointed any kind of lead or we used our CRM to say, here's this person they just called in. This doesn't work for us. So we're going to send it over to so-and-so. Well, let, let's bring it back all the way to the beginning here. Let's even go down to a, a more raw form of this. When your marketing goes out there, are you using different telephone numbers on different forms of marketing to track where your leads are coming from? Um, yeah, so we'll use a, a Google Voice number, or we have you know a couple different numbers. We have our business numbers, so we'll you know, figure out what uh, what campaign are we doing? How do we want to target it? We've also done different campaigns in multiple states. So if we're going to be doing a campaign in Kansas or Tennessee, we're going to use a specific number for those areas because I want my number to make them feel comfortable, right. it looks local, it looks like it's somebody that's not from Pennsylvania coming and trying to buy my house. So we'll kind of um, tailor it to the region that we're at or what campaign we're doing. Gotcha. So now the calls are coming in. I mean, they're coming from multiple different sources. They're coming from Google Voice or different numbers and different platforms. Are they coming to one person? Are you answering? Are you answering? Do you have a virtual assistant? How are you handling this? So what we do is we can answer them or we also have our virtual assistant that's gonna answer the calls. And so what she does, she answers the calls, she plugs it into our RealFlow account so that we can document all of our leads, we can capture them all, and then she's gonna ask them the specific questions about their property. All the things that I would typically ask or Adam would typically ask, but the highest and best use of our time is not gonna be answering calls all day. And then she's gonna scrub it down and kind of 
put notes on there, tag us on on our RealFlow account, letting us know here's who I talked to. This one is probably one of your you know higher you know higher priority, priority type of leads. Well, that is the great thing about modern technology. I mean, when I got started back in the mid '90s, we literally had a roll paper fax machine, no internet, no emails. I mean, we paid by the minute on our telephones, and now using like RealFlow and different CRMs, it's all web based. So if they're putting information in halfway around the globe, it's popping in real time right here on your screen so you can see what to prioritize and what you can't. So from what I hear, you guys have to set up as like a real business that it's only, you're the surgeons. So basically the whole OR is all prepped, everything's ready and you're walking in now and you're ready to do business. Yeah, and, I, and talking about leads, a big problem with people is that they'll go out, new investors, they'll put signs up, they'll send letters out the phone starts ringing, they start answering some of the calls, but then a couple weeks into it, they're so busy with all these other things, they can't get to the calls. And so that's where you lose a lot of your opportunities, a lot of your business, a lot of your follow-up, is that you don't have somebody that's in place to be able to kind of you know tag team, you hand it off to that person. And yeah. you know, Adam is really savvy when it came to figuring out who do we hire, how do we figure out the right person, the right fit for us. And so you know he was really knowledgeable and kind of took that step and made it happen for us. And the, the big thing for us was we figured it out to start with, we did it ourselves, and then we were able to trans transition that over to a VA. So for us, to bring somebody on to take the time to do the things that weren't the highest and best use of our time, that's that's where we transitioned. It wasn't always that way. We started out doing the hard, dirty work, figured it out, implemented a system, and then moved on from there. See, I couldn't agree more because I know you guys probably the same thing I have. Because we buy a lot of properties in a market, you just get inundated with all the postcards and all the letters and everything all the time they're coming to you. And then I'll take the time to call these people back. I would say 90% of them, I can't get a hold of. They won't call me back. Numbers are disconnected. And if they had had some forward thinking to have a VA or someone that was designated, then it might be a little bit different. They could actually have taken my call, maybe bought a house from me. Yeah, and it's fun <laughs> to kind of play that role because I have a piece of property that I own free and clear, and I've gotten different postcards from other investors. And so you know, I'll kind of pretend like I'm the person that wants to sell my free and clear piece of property and I call them and they don't respond to me. I'll call them again. I leave the messages and, you know, I'll say all the right things like, oh, I, I don't even know what it's worth. I just want to get rid of it. And they still don't even call me back. So <laughs> if you thing. have five different investors in an area and at least four of them are doing that way, it's, it's really like shooting fish in a barrel. As long as you're able to answer your phone call, you're going to get that deal. Exactly. Now, this is going to bring me up to my next point. I find, and I'm sure you do as well, that that one phone call is not enough. There's gotta be a follow-up sequence. I mean, just because you called me and I called you back, that's just the beginning of the relationship for trying to buy this house and building. What do you do for your, your follow-ups and how many times are you touching the average you know, seller to try to put a deal together. Well, before you answer this, before Adam <laughs> moved up here, my follow-up was like a sticky note and, you know, a piece of paper and, you know, a back of a business card. And he, and kind of what you had asked earlier about like, how do we work together? How do we mesh? How is he okay to not be the forefront? Where I stop in business, that's where he starts. And then the other way around, like what he loves, I hate. And what I hate, he loves, you know, how that's how it works with us. So I'm disorganized. I hate excel i hate tracking anything and adam is just fabulous when it comes to that type of stuff so you know yeah. you're you kind of talk a little bit about you yeah, know, how the, we 
the fortune is definitely in the follow-up. I mean, if you could go in and just buy somebody's rehab house on the first time you go in there, more power to you. But making a relationship with these people, prioritizing it, you got to weed out the people that are just there to want to talk to you and really aren't about taking action or to a point where they want to move on a property. Um, so you got to put it somewhere that you can keep track of it, that it doesn't get lost in your stack of papers on, on your desk or because um, a lot of times like we've gotten to a point where we had an on market property. Um, I believe it was on market and we went out to see it. First time we saw it, the guy was going to meet us down there. He was from four hours away. Um, he said, yeah, just go ahead and take a look inside. This is a hoarder house hole in the roof like we're looking at this thing like oh my and and it's in a great neighborhood and she's out in the car with the kids and I peek my head in the door and I see this guy laying under a blanket he had already been evicted he went back into the house and squatted <laughs> so we call the the owners and we're like hey uh, I think the guy's still in there they're like no way and so we're like well I'm just gonna leave because I don't know what he's doing in there he's obviously not supposed to be there so Jenna follows back up. We end up getting an appointment with the guys. They come out. We're looking at it. We make an offer and that they, they kind of laughed at us at all. Oh, your offer's way too low. We'll put it on the market. We'll we'll get way more than that. Yeah. So my offer was like 44,000 on it. He's like, no, no. You know, they put it on the market for like what? Wasn't it like it was like close to 90? I think Yeah, 98 least. or 90 couple thousand. And so go ahead and tell. Yeah. So he he laughs us off and says no way we'll be able to get more so jenna put it in the crm we follow up she follows up later to see what happened on the market and she saw that it sold and then she checks the price and it sold for less than what we offered it was in the 30s <laughs> and so i contacted him and i said my offer was in the 40 couple range you know he's like well i thought you wanted us to leave all the stuff in the house i said why would i want all that garbage so kind of on the reverse end of it, his problem was is that he probably didn't have a follow-up system or any way to document what people's offers were or any way yep. to capture my information. So when they got to that desperate point of like, let's just take any offer, he couldn't remember who I was, probably my number, what you know, my phone number or the number we offered. Had he had a way to capture that, he would have been able to get probably $10,000 more. And that was what, six months before that. Yeah. This is a great takeaway point right here because literally the exact thing happened to me yesterday. I had a house offered to me that I was negotiating with the person before and I had offered them 45,000. They were stuck at 52 and I had another guy bring it back and offer to me at 58 and I laughed. I said, well, how much did you pay for these? Well, I got for 40. I'm like, she turned down my 45. I'm like, but you're right. You have to almost do their job for them. So how can you create a follow-up system for them to follow up with you? I think that that's where you need to be touching them more frequently saying, hey, remember my offer? Here's my number. Remember this offer? Mail them, email them, text them, call them. And I think that we can all learn from that because yeah. you should have had that deal and I should have had that deal yeah. and because of a hole in our own system. And you know, you use real flow as I do as well. And it does that for us if we would just work the system. Hey, this is Andy from RealFlow, and a couple of the most common things we hear from our listeners are, I want to become a real estate investor, but I don't know where to start. Or, I have a real estate investing business, but I'm having trouble scaling. We took these to heart. 
and decided to create the Real Estate Investing Lifecycle, a downloadable PDF which lays out the six foundational steps required to run a successful real estate investing business. You can download your copy today at reilifecycle.com start. Happy investing. Let me ask you guys a question now. You're talking about doing multiple markets from Pennsylvania and you're, where else are you mailing to? Kansas, Missouri, Tennessee. Okay, all these different places. I'm just a Cleveland guy. I do all my Northeast. Maybe we should come to Cleveland now. (laughs) (laughs) I welcome you. I welcome you to Cleveland. So big markets versus the smaller markets. What's the difference? What are you guys finding when you're walking into a town like Cleveland that is a hotbed for investors right now versus those little podunk towns out there? What's the difference? What do you find? You were kind of the inspiration of why we started picking other areas. So the large versus the small markets. In our market, we we really evaluated what the top end of it was. Um, and so we looked at, we're pretty much, if you go into a bigger market, you, your after repair value is going to be higher. Um, but you're still putting in the same amount of work because the houses are still built around the same time. They, they take the same amount of time to finish them. So we went and started looking into bigger markets where we could get 200 plus for a house, but you're still, when you're getting your leads, you're marketing for people that are on the lower end of the spectrum as far as purchase. Um, we don't mind doing the dirty work or hire, hiring out the dirty work, um, but at the end of the day, if we can get a bigger spread because we're in a different market and we took the time to learn and evaluate what's going on there. That's not to say you can't goof up and buy in a, an area that's gonna cause you huge issues and you said, well, this side of the road sold for 220 and then I just bought in the 100 neighborhood and I overpaid and now I've just gotta eliminate it. So, I mean, learning your market, using different tools that are available to you is so important and in, in things like that. I mean, that's why we branched out to, to different areas. Awesome. I tell you, when doing different markets, I commend you guys for being able to handle more than one market because I, I was overseas speaking on American real estate here in Cleveland. And you get a lot of the people that live out of town that think they can compete with a local that's been doing it forever. And I'm like, if you're going down I-90 heading east and you get off on Eddie Road, if you make a left, you're in Bratnall in a multi-million dollar neighborhood. You make a right, you're in East Cleveland. But on Zillow, a mile away, you're like, look, houses are selling for a million dollars. I can buy this one for 3,000. It seems like a great deal. Yeah. And that's really, when you can master that like you guys have, that's where the money shot is. Like you guys can really crush it in a market. Yeah. So my next question, just to stick with leads here, how are you prioritizing your leads? Because from what I've always found, I do 80% of my business with just a handful of people. And yet I have thousands of people in my systems that are leads. How do you guys prioritize and deal with that? Um, What we're going to do is try to figure out what is our main focus at that point. So, for example, if we sit down in the beginning of the year and we say, here are our goals for the year, because we're going to sit down in the beginning and then we'll talk quarterly, monthly, weekly. We want to make sure that we're hitting our goals. So two years ago, our main focus was getting a bunch of rental properties because we wanted to have that consistent cash flow every single month. So our goal was to get 10 properties that year, which we ended up getting 15 properties. So we went above and beyond, which was great. But what we're going to do is the leads that are coming in, we're looking more towards those 
move in ready, doesn't need a whole lot of work. We're going to have to have a certain dollar per door type of evaluation on it. So if that was going to be our goal that year, maybe the year before when our goal was to flip six houses or eight houses, the type of leads coming in are going to be different that time versus what I'm really looking at right now. So it's based on what are, are we looking for our next rehab? Are we looking for maybe a wholesale? Are we looking for something where you could list it? So we wanna try to monetize any of those leads that are coming in, but we wanna figure out what is our goal? What is our exit strategy? Awesome. So off of all the different marketing that you do, what is, if you had to choose one, you had to eliminate everything you're doing except for one method, and it could be bandit signs, direct mail, MLS, expired, driving for dollars, door hangers, bird dogs, your your um, profile that you have in your neighborhood, there's referrals. What is it? What would you take over everything? That's a tough one. Ooh, yeah. I always love bandit signs because, you know, the first round of bandit signs I put up, I put five up. I had 16 voicemails the next day. The first house I purchased was from a bandit sign. My contractors contacted me from my bandit sign. I ended up getting my lender my lender through my bandit sign. So it was just, I was kind of a surreal moment in my first house, funded by my bandit sign, rehabbed by my bandit sign, and I sold it on somebody, found somebody on Facebook and sold it in seven hours. So, I mean, I love bandit signs, but also I think a lot of our stuff is referral related. Okay, now that you've said all of that, I'm gonna ask you the, the the question about the bandit signs. If you're like me, I find we make this joke here, my friends and I, you find something that works really, really well and it's awesome and you knock it out of the park. Well, that clearly worked pretty well. Let's try this now. And you get away from that. Are you one of those people or right now, are you crushing it with bandit signs and still hanging 100, 200 of them up a week? We're not hanging 100, 200. A lot of our signs are, we can put them in a property. So if we're rehabbing a house, we're gonna put them in that front yard. We also buy like a four by six size banner that's our logo, logo, the same phone number, the same website, the same color, the same font, all those type of things. And we put those in our properties. So those help a lot. So we still will put them. You just wanna make sure that you're mindful of all the codes in your area. Because when I first started, there was no codes. Now it's five days that your signs are allowed to be up. So we have to be a little strategic on making sure that we follow the rules, whether they're in the ground or in a telephone pole. We still, we still put our signs up. We don't have to put them up as, I guess, as heavily as we used to, because a lot of times, We've made such a name in our area that if somebody wants to sell their house, they don't need the sign to drive by to say, who's that girl that flips houses? They just know to find me. They'll know my name. They, they've seen my sign for six years and they'll automatically go to us. Yeah, and we get calls on houses we haven't even started to market yet saying, hey, I know you guys are doing this house on such and such street. When's it going to be ready? And that's because of the presence of building that in the community, they, they know where we're at, they know where we're buying, and it's probably, I've even had agents call me and say, hey, I have clients that wanna make an offer on this, what did you guys do to remedy this problem that I knew about in the past? And we knew what the answer was to that. And the only reason is, is because we built the relationship, we talked to the people, we know what's going on in the community, and we stay connected, so that helps us further down the road. Awesome, now, in modern technology, an old guy like me, I'm still, you know, sending guys out there with the slap stapler onto a um, telephone pole just so I can get to talk to the mayor directly. <laughs> so how about digital bandit signs? What do you do with those? You mean like on Craigslist or things like yeah, that? 
Yeah, Facebook, doing all the uh, target marketing on Facebook and trying to get leads. Well, I mean, that's something that, that we really enjoy doing because if you think about, you talked about like your old school days, even you can even put direct mail sometimes in um, in that category because we did a lot of direct mail in the past. And so what you do is you get your list of people, you're paying a fee per letter to send out the letter. Well, one of the things that we, we've realized and, and also learning with RealFlow is that about 80% of the people on your list have Facebook. So we can spend money in sending them a letter or we can take that list that we have and let's create an ad on Facebook and now let's put it in front of their face. So if 80% of those people on our list have Facebook, well, let's create a custom type of target there where they're scrolling through and they're like, man, I always see that girl's, her ad that's out there. So you know, our last several houses that we have purchased were based on our digital ads that we were putting on Facebook yeah. that I learned through, you know, RealFlow. And time spent on social media is way more now than time going through your mail like it used to be. Oh, people don't run to the mail. <laughs> like, you know, if you're in a tough financial situation and if anybody's in a tough financial si situation, nobody runs to the mailbox like, oh, I can't wait to see what bills I got today. No, they right. want to like just numb themselves and just look at social media. And if they're not opening their mail and it's in a box back in the corner, I need to figure out a way to get in front of them. And it's a lot cheaper for me, you know, whenever it comes to, you know, if I want to go and put signs up or if I want to go hire a virtual assistant to, you know, answer all these phone calls or send letters out, I can just hire a virtual assistant to just put some ads out and then it does it itself. You can just schedule it and it, and it happens. Well, for a shameless plug here, real quick, we do a lot of talking about real flow, and clearly, real flow is the one that produces this show. But we're not making it all about real flow. It just happens to be a CRM that all of us use. Now, all my guests do not use real flow, but however, it is great though for everything we're talking about for keeping track of people, following up with people, getting the digital footprints of how to put on Facebook and to follow them and everything else. So, for everyone listening, that's exactly what it is. It's just a one-stop shop for all the stuff that we're talking about. And there's a shameless plug, so. Well, and, and the thing is people think like, oh geez, that'd be great to do something like that on Facebook, but I don't even have any idea where to begin. I'm the type of person when I got into this, I didn't know how to use a computer. I didn't know how to use email. I was terrible, I'm terrible at computers, but I have a great company that teaches me how to do it. So there's gonna be uh, an education portion of it that's gonna say, here's how you do it, now go do it. So it's not like throw you to the wolves type of thing. Well, the answer for any type of marketing is to basically be the Goodyear blimp over somebody when they have a flat tire on the side of the road. You know, it's the right message to the right person at the right time. Mm -hmm. And when I got started back when homes were just being built, I think, back in the caveman days, it cost me about $500 per deal that I got. And that's where a lot of people would um, come up with the $500 referral fee back in the day. Now I have found it that through direct mail and different uh, methods, because it's such a competitive market now, and there's so many of these weekend ballroom graduates that are coming out, they might not be doing the business as much, but they're still making offers and tying things up. It's costing us anywhere between 4,500 and 7,000 per deal in marketing to get that same deal done. Do you find the same thing or are you still getting your deals for an average of $500 and I'm just not a great marketer. That might I was just going to say, do you want me to come out, and, <laughs> yeah. uh, come out and hang my signs here? Well, it could um, also be the difference between your prior question, big markets compared to small markets. So your market could be inflated with investors who are going to say, yeah, I'll give you $7,000 more for your house than what you were going to offer and inflates your purchase price. But I think Jenna had some to add to it. 
Well, no, I was just going to say, I mean, I don't think that we, if we look at how much we're spending, I don't think it's, it, I don't think it's quite that much. Um, I just, a lot of it, like I said, is reputation based. A lot of it is, I may have to have it in front of that person one time and they've already heard of me and it was at the right place at the right time. It's also based on, we don't have a whole lot of investor competition where we are. We have, we, we invest in some of the poorest counties in Pennsylvania. So we have a lot of distressed houses, a lot of motivated sellers and not a lot of competition. So because of that, it's the perfect storm for us to pretty much have any house that we want. It's just making sure it's the right house. Exactly. That makes complete sense. And I know that when I take in the referral part of my business versus the paid marketing part, that definitely tips the scales to lower my cost, my acquisition cost per deal. But if I'm going based off of just paid marketing, that's when the prices do jump up. Well, and it's definitely easier to take a referral on an estate than it is to mail a letter to an estate. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, people deal with people that they know, like, and trust. Right. That's it. Simply put, even if you had the best marketing in the world sent out to someone, or I did, if their neighbor said, oh, my friend buys houses, they're most likely going to get that deal mm -hmm. over one of us. Mm -hmm. So, okay. In wrapping this up, the final question is, how has real estate and this business changed your life and given you and your family more freedom? Um, I mean, not to backtrack a lot, but whenever I first got started in real estate, I was just graduating college, carrying all my debt, not sure what I wanted to do. Um, and I was just kind of like a, I didn't understand improving yourself and improving your life as a person and as a whole. Um, doing tough things through real estate has made me a better person. It's gotten me to push through areas of my life that I never thought I'd have to deal with. Um, and looking now at my kids, I have a way to leave a legacy to them. I have a way to give back to my family, give back to my community. And when I go to work every day, I feel like I have more of a purpose than I originally did. I thought I was going to sit behind a desk and do paperwork and do and and now I'm, I'm helping people. I'm able to provide freedom for our family. I'm able to work every day and be happy. I'm not saying it doesn't get stressful because this industry can stress you, but it grows you more than we don't grow if we don't stress. And I, I truly believe it's the way that we've managed to adapt to the stresses that we've been put under that makes us even better every day. Awesome. Um, well, I think that if we, if I wouldn't have got into real estate, would have never met Adam, would have never, yeah. you know, when I look at my kids, I would, wouldn't have you know, ASIN. And I feel like it's just given us an opportunity to have the financial freedom to where I'm the one that's writing the story now. It's not somebody else that's going to tell me how I'm going to live my life or who I'm going to work for. It's, I'm in control. Gosh, Jenna, Adam, thank you guys so much for being on. It was so insightful. And if, if there's any takeaways that we can have today, I think one, that um, real estate has given life to your children. They just would not be here without real estate. So for anyone thinking about getting real estate, you could be stopping life and progression if you don't get into the business and you might not meet your soulmate. Right, yeah. <laughs> now, there were lots of good takeaways with both of you. It was amazing to hear about how you're running different markets, how you're using CRM and just organization beyond just our post-it note type stuff that our types of personalities and listening to somebody that's a little more organized can get us into a digital format will work. So, hey, thanks guys for being on. We're going to have to have you back again. There was just so much stuff to cover. There's no way we could have handled it all in this one episode. 
Um, you guys, we want to catch the next episode coming up. It is going to be about legal wholesaling. We have a couple rock star attorneys that are going to be on here. And I know you've been hearing a lot of things that wholesaling is illegal. You can't do it. Well, these guys are here to set the record straight and tell you how to do it and keep yourself out of trouble. I'm Rob the House Guy, and this has been Real Estate Investing Roundtable. And remember, nothing works unless you do. This episode is brought to you by RealFlow, the smart way to invest in real estate. All the tools you need to automate lead generation and marketing. If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to leave us a review and subscribe.